0: All right, welcome to another edition here of Beyond Eight Figures. Steve Olschew hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Hello, Richie Ote. What's up, my brother? How you doing? Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Good. And uh, if you're watching us live, because we do broadcast live every Thursday from twelve until two Pacific, uh, then you'll see the illustrious Mac Lackey hanging out with us, and we'll bring Mac in here uh, in a second. On Beyond A Figures, week after week, we do sit down with entrepreneurs uh, who are either running businesses that gross more than ten million dollars annually, uh, or have exited from businesses uh, for more than ten million dollars. We get to the bottom of exactly how they started, and built, and in some cases exited from those businesses. And you know, it's a it's a really interesting conversation today, for sure. Um, given everything that is going on in the world, you know, my my personal take on all of this, my personal philosophy uh, is that there's actually more opportunity now than I really do think meets the eye. And it's easy to get caught up in a lot of the, oh God, you know, dear God, what now sort of mentality. And I, and I get that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like the word pivot, because they think it's overused and whatnot, to those I say, push I like the word pivot, you should pivot all you want. So, um, you know, reality is, if you are willing to pivot and do things a wee bit differently than perhaps how you've done them in the past, uh, lots of opportunity right now. And so what I I really want to do, first and foremost, is just check in uh, with each of you, Mary and Rich, and then and then Mac, um, how you know? Just kind of, I feel like this is uh, an opportunity to to create a diary, so to speak. And obviously, that's what a podcast is. To to a large extent, is really creating an audio diary of what's going on in your life, in your business, with your company, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Whatever it is that you cover on a podcast, for us, uh, it's also an opportunity for all of us. Technically, uh, I would say also for anyone who has a podcast, it's an opportunity to create this audio diary. Uh, of what's going on in this very interesting period of time, because I do think we're going to look back on this period of time, uh, and for many of us, it's going to be a make-or-break opportunity here to really propel ourselves to a much larger future. Uh, and for others, it's it's going to to, to mark a, a place of of no return, where uh, you know it really just kind of takes the wind out of your sails. Um, and you know, unfortunately, that's what's gonna happen for some folks. Let me, let me actually just do this real quick. Mac, before we jump into the question specifically for you, how, how old are you? I am 49. 49, okay, so we're all pretty much kind of in the same boat. And one of the things that I've been talking about with some friends is I, I've got some serious PTSD. Like, I mean, just some, like our generation has been, we got the fuck slapped out of us More so than almost any other generation ever. I mean, really, if you think about it, as Gen Xers, which is, you know, generally where we are, right? First, there was the dot-com crash. Now, I got hit really hard by that. I mean, with liquor.com, we had the S1 filed. We were ready to go public in March of 2000. That's when everything imploded, right? And that was a very real herder. And that was nine years building up liquor.com, smashed to pieces, you know, blank, but just ugh, right? Like that was a very real implosion. And then real estate, getting into real estate development and developing over 50 million dollars in, in real estate and you know having great projects and that and then having the rug pulled out from under me in that and and the real estate crash. real. I mean, like a real impact on my life and my business. And it's like, you know, they they say, you know, the strong, you know, get down and knock down seven times, get up eight, or I don't know, whatever the count is on that, I guess it'd be seven and seven. But you know, the point being, it's like, you can only take so many complete rebuilds before you're like, oh my God, like this game is just unfair. And so now having put almost 10 years into building this personal brand, so to speak, so around 2009, starting down the path of creating this, this personal brand, it's, a, again, feeling like, oh, my God, like, you know, through no fault of my own. Just, and that's the thing that hurts the most is really all three major crashes that we're, that we're experiencing in our generation is is really through no fault of our own. I mean, some could say in real estate, maybe some people got overextended, maybe they got into loans they shouldn't have gotten into, but you didn't cause the dot-com crash. You didn't cause the real estate crash. You didn't cause the creation of COVID-19. And so I'm just, well, I just really want to check in because, you know, Mary, Richie, and, and Mac, we we all have lived through two of the of the biggest crashes in the history of mankind in terms of well obviously everything that's going on and we're now living through a third. So I, I just really want to check in with with you and let me start with you Mary. How 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 are you doing? What's going on?
1: Yeah, well I'm I'm doing fine. I'm managing, you know, my business went sideways in the vacation rental industry. Um, by the grace of God, I did get some people who wanted staycations and they're, you know, at a steep discount, but it's it's money coming in. Real estate can still move along. Um, it's just got some restrictions. So that's fine. I decided to put all my effort into writing and I've been extremely productive and my kitchen cupboards are cleaned out. All the laundry's finished, (laughs) you know, and then I go right back to writing and it's gorgeous here so we can sit outside and not feel so isolated it's part of my normal routine anyway so i I'm, I'm doing fine enthusiastic
0: yeah. yeah is it is it it doesn't seem like it, because again you know what other choice do we have right we can curl up in a ball we can just you know go in a corner and cry but does this feel reminiscent to you were you impacted by the other two crashes in in this same sort of way no yeah no, yeah,
1: I, I, um, no, not not at all.
0: I got it. So. so, yeah, no, it's okay, Richie. Let me go. Let me go over to you first to check in. How you doing? And then let's talk about the the three crashes and how you've been impacted. You know, in in, in your, you know, thirty odd years as an entrepreneur as well.
2: Oh, jeez. So first off, life is great. Um, like I said the last few times, the biggest balancing act is. Exp- trying to figure out the work-life balance with a seven-year-old running around, but that's actually getting better. And in some ways is even working out in a way I hadn't even dreamed of, like she's getting more into it and wanting to help and stuff. So it's Mm -hmm. actually, you know, to be continued, we'll see how that turns out, but it's been kind of fantastic on how much she's wanted to help. Um, Doing a lot, trying to help the people in the community. I've mentioned that a few times. We're really tight around here. So we're, Helping the older people out, chopping for them, wiping the stuff down first, all that good stuff. Um, so, in that regard, I feel super blessed that you know, not one of those people like we hear about the forty percent of Americans that couldn't write a five hundred dollar check. I really, I really feel for them, but at the same time, I'm just trying to focus on what I can actually do um, for my house, and hopefully, that ripples off into others' houses. Um, man, you just talked about three, you forget we're kids and we used to have to get in line and gas at different times on different times of the day. If you're, you really go back. Uh, but, um, like good thing we're entrepreneurs. That's what we do. We solve problems, you know, that's, that's what we do. And, and there's part of the reason probably why you say there's more opportunity than ever is sometimes as an entrepreneur, you have to still sell them. They have a problem. I don't think we have to sell very many people. They have a problem right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Mac, let's go over to you. So Mac Lackey really appreciate you hanging out. And, uh, first of all, sweet office you're working from, is that in your home or do you actually go to an office still for what you're doing?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a home office. I, I built a, uh, it's, it's detached by five feet. So it's kind of the perfect world. I, I leave through a breezeway and I enter my own little domain here. So uh, nice. It's, it's technically a home office,
0: yeah. Got it, got it. And you're in uh, Charlotte hanging out with us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, I have to ask first for those of you who are uh, on the video, uh, we, we live stream every Thursday from 12 until 2 Pacific. So if you're hanging out with us on Facebook, you'll see Max got some pretty sweet jerseys in the back. <laughs> you uh, a big soccer fan? Is that what's going on there?
3: Yeah, I am a big soccer fan. It's it's football, been, football, yeah, I guess. football globally. Yeah, so it's yeah. been uh, it's been kind of an influence in my life. I played my whole life. It was my real passion. I've had the good fortune of of having several soccer related businesses, and so yeah, that's you know signed Messi, signed Neymar, signed Pele jerseys. Kind of my favorite bucket list uh, moments are all sort of related to meeting those players and went to Pele's house and I lived in Barcelona and met Messi. And so, yeah, so a lot of those things just remind me of great times, so.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you know, one of the things that, um, that I found so interesting about most entrepreneurs, and in, in, let, me, let me actually rephrase that. Um, I actually don't think most entrepreneurs aspire to play at the highest level that they possibly can. I think most entrepreneurs, far too many entrepreneurs are, are looking at, you know, how can I make a, a, a decent living? You know, how can I sell X number of products, programs and services and do pretty good and, and you know have a, a life that I'm comfortable with and and I like and this, that and the other, but don't really aspire to be a Neymar like, or, or a Messi or like, like don't really aspire to play at the, at the ultimate level, of the game that they're in. So, you know, let's, let's go back because you, you have actually, and I typically ask, ask this straight out, but just given everything that's going on, uh, I wanted to cover a little bit of ground first around, COVID, we can't be tone deaf to what's going on there. Let, let me just ask you this. How do you meet the criteria for beyond Eight figures? Do you currently run a business that grosses more uh, than 10 million annually, or did you exit from a business or businesses uh, for more than 10 million?
3: Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm partly because of age and just having been an entrepreneur for most of my life, I am, uh, I exited my sixth company in October of 2018. And uh, of the six, I think five, I either exited for eight figures or were at eight figures in revenue. So I've, I've, uh, you know, kind of touched that, that level a number of different ways. Um, And it's had a big, you know, big impact on my life in terms of I think what you guys talk a lot about is how you get there, how you stay there, the challenges that's created for me. Um, so yeah, it's something I'm passionate about for sure.
0: Yeah. So let, let's talk about the, uh, the first conversation just in terms of uh, the three crashes. So you're right around our age. Yep. So, the, so the dot-com crash was probably very real for you. The real estate related crash was probably very real for you. Um, sounds like this one may not hit as close to home, perhaps only because you just exited in 2018, but let's, let's talk about how, is this reminiscent to you of what we experienced in the first two crashes? Are you, do you have any sort of PTSD around, uh, around yeah. any of those?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as you were explaining your experiences, Steve, I, I, I share a number of those. So I was actually running a.com in, in 2000. Um, March of 2000 was an interesting year in that, or an interesting month in that, you know, I had a term sheet for a $15 million investment for one of my companies that went from I was smoking cigars, thinking I was on top of the world, to I had two weeks of payroll and I wasn't sure we were going to make it um, all within, you know, maybe a week and a half because of the dot com crash. That same month, I actually started another one of my companies um, that ended up, you know, going on and being one of our biggest and uh, the company that almost didn't make payroll, we sold for $15 million in July of 2000. So we kind of, to use your pivot term, we escaped the missing payroll and had a good outcome. So that is a very visceral, very year month for me. The dot-com crash, I felt it seven ways from Sunday.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So So as you sit here today, Number one, are you directly impacted by what is going on? And if if so, or if not, what advice would you give? Having had to to pivot, and I know some people hate that term, but you know, whatever, dudes, get over it. It's a term. Yeah. Um, the what advice would you give to to those who are in the thick of it and need to figure something out?
3: Yeah, well, I think. Um you said, you know, pivot and PTSD. And I I often tell founders that I'm working with now because I'm spending a lot of my time mentoring uh, and advising uh, founders. And to me, I keep calling it deja vu. Like whether it's good things or bad things, I can sort of remember moments during my journey that were like, oh, I know what this feels like. I know where you are. And for me, my companies, almost without fail, the original business plan that we started out with, the idea that we started out with and the business I sold in the future was almost always a fundamentally different business. And to me, that was letting the market tell us where we should go. And so in some cases, you're just listening to your customers and you're getting really soft signals. In some cases, like the dot-com crash, it was a face punch. It was like, oh, you have to change everything right now. So um, I've had the rug pulled out from me, not only because of those black swan events, but you know, fires in factories and losing capital, and just things that are you know, absolutely never would have put on a sheet of likely outcomes and you have to figure out how to navigate. And so I always tell founders, your number one job is figuring out how to navigate turbulence because it's coming. We don't know when, we don't know how bad, we don't know where. But if you can navigate turbulence, you can create a good outcome. So that's been kind of my experience. And I think most people can relate to it now.
0: Yeah, let me, let me ask you this. And then Richie, I'll jump over to you because I know you're, you're chomping at the bit on this as well. So let me just ask you this. So Mac, uh, and then I do want to get into a little bit about one of the businesses. Obviously, we won't have time to get into all of them, but certainly one of them that you were able to exit from. Um, but let me, let me ask you this question, which is, does it? surprise you does it dumbfound you are you are you able to help folks kind of kind of get their their arms around exactly what they can do and need to do in those times of turbulence from the standpoint of i am i am stunned just stunned by the number of companies that were ill prepared to handle a 30, 60 day window of, of things going to hell in a handbasket. Like, I, I mean, just when, when you look at the, the sheer magnitude in terms of the number of companies that will not survive, like, if it ended tomorrow, you're, you're, you would still see tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of companies that would not survive. Absolutely. How, how can that happen?
3: Yeah, I mean, some of it's sad. It's not unlike the comment about the average American not having, you know, $500 in the bank account or $1,000. I mean, some of it's just the unfortunate riding so close to the edge, so, you know, limited from a resource standpoint. But a lot of it is, I think, is people stuck in a mindset where when things change, they continue to try to do the same thing that they were doing yesterday or the day before. And so you had customers yesterday and you keep trying to sell people that are no longer buying. Okay, well, you need to take that signal immediately and say, what do I do with that, right? And so again, pivot, I hate to you know <laughs> reuse that word, but I think that's this is the moment where you have to, as a founder, as a business owner, say everything has changed or most things have changed where is the opportunity now? Where do I need to go now? And in a lot of cases, that means burn down everything you thought yesterday. And survival to fight another day is everything. You know, my mentor used to say you have to have staying power. If you have cash in the bank, you have staying power. But if you have the ability to navigate, you also have staying power, go to your customers with something different, you know, change it up quickly. And I'm like you, I'm stunned that people just get like, you know, deer in the headlights and hit pause and think the world's going to come back. It's not coming back like that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Let me, uh let me turn it over to Rich and Mary for questions. And then I'll, I'll circle back with just talking about one of your first endeavors that you were able to exit from. So let's circle back to that, but let me kick it over to Rich and, and then Mary.
2: So I had a, a quick question that will lead to a second one, but are all your businesses in a certain vertical? Did you Take a skill set from one, like say the the first one where you were about ready to not make payroll, and you started another business. Was this a complete use the pivot term, or was this in the same vertical that you just saw a different niche that wasn't being?
3: Yeah, I, I've had so of my six companies um, there have been multiple industries. I mean, there's all bit there's been a common thread of technology sort of enabled businesses. And three of the six had a soccer theme just because of my passion. but within the soccer companies, you know, one was a media company, one was a tech company, and one had a brand and so um, so I have been a little bit broad as it relates to industry, but um each one of those in some way i've you know I've learned something or I've seen something that's kind of naturally led to the next thing that I'm excited about. so it's not really been a very consistent theme
2: but but it sounds like you might have had a similar audience in that at least the soccer, you knew that market and that demographic so well that whether you went into manufacturing or whatever it was you were doing, um, you knew the market or the end market consumer. So now I wanna I wanna bring that back to kind of things that you and Steve both touched upon. And we have the the entrepreneur group that's like grow at all costs, put all your money back into your business and keep growing, 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 which is going to leave less cash reserves sitting there for events like this. And then you have the, um, I'm blanking his name, Mike, the profit first guy. There you go. Um, Where it's like, Hey, you're going to take some profit and your business is going to take some off top line revenue. In your experience, since you're helping founders and they really need to get going and grow, and there's kind of two main ones, you're either getting funding and you haven't really proved anything yet, but you got a good idea or you're selling your way to growth. Where do you, where do you see that balance in going all in on your company, but yet remembering you're, you're doing this to to try to make some money as well and be able to withstand these kind of black swan events.
3: Yeah, it's if you're asking me, I I mean, I would say where I advise people probably deviates slightly from my own uh, process, and that was because you know, first, you know, the beginning, I didn't have any resources or wherewithal. You know, I started my first company six months out of college, and I had no money, and and you know, I really. that company we built up and sold. And it was a, in some ways, a life changing exit. But it was, um, I plowed it all back into my next company. And I also lost millions in the dot com crash. And, and so I, um, I have lived personally, like risk on all chips on. <laughs> so um, and that has, in the end, it has served me well. But I have also been very close, many times, you know, in my life to you know, it could have gone the other way very easily, you know, and um, even, even personally, you know, mm-hmm. after I had had a couple of exits, I used to joke around that I ran a barbell strategy, I had all my, you know, wealth in either my companies and cash, there was no stocks, no bonds, no diversification. Um, so I don't recommend that. But I know that that's where wealth is created and my passion was in the business that I was building. So I wanted to be all in, I wanted my investors to know I was all in, I wanted my employees to know I was all in and kind of to keep the edge on for myself. But you know, that's not necessarily advisable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Rich, anything else? And then kick it over to Mirror. No,
2: I, I would say just one little caveat. So would you say part of the reason that you decide to go all in is to just keep and maintain that mindset of, you know, if you're, I'm going to use a, If you stay broke, but you're growing, you're always looking for something new. You're looking for that pivot. You're looking to solve things all the time. Is it, is it more of a mental mindset piece? Or was it that you're just trying to get bigger in the business?
3: No, I think you're right. I think for me, it was a lot of mental mindset and I, I really believe that you know, if, if I didn't have any true risk um, in a black swan event, or if the, you know, the company wasn't succeeding, I probably wouldn't have had the edge to problem solve the way you, know, you mentioned that earlier. And I really felt that was my role and obligation. If I'm gonna be the founder, I have to find the market, I have to find the exit, um, you know, I have to figure this out. And if I'm doing this as almost like a side project because I feel perfectly safe, I probably don't have the same drive. Um, so I think that was a big part of it. And the other thing for me is, is I made a decision back in 2000, which I'm happy to go into more detail, but I sold my first two companies in my 20s. They were both eight figure exits. And my daughter was born in August of 2000. And I had kind of a moment that I would almost call a depression when I realized that The only way I created those outcomes was I was working myself to death and I did not want to be the kind of father who was never home. And so I made a decision that I was going to never miss a moment with my then daughter and and subsequently second daughter uh, life. And so being able to manage that, like scale companies and be home for dinner every night and take my, you know, coach my kids' soccer teams meant I was like full risk on. I had to make everything count because I, you know, I was just committed to that. So that also had a huge impact on my psychology.
0: That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Mary, any questions for Mac?
1: I wanted to touch on a little bit you said earlier about the mindset and Steve, you were saying, you know, and as well as Mac, People either open their eyes and realize, I've got to find my zag because the zigging worked until everything shut us down. You can't solve a problem created here unless you go up here with a different perspective, a different outlook, a different level of optimism, positivity. Putting good stuff into your mind, like positive thinking, YouTube videos, or whatever it is. But from your perspective, do you think it's just in someone's DNA to be like you are, that you can problem solve so quickly and other people crumble?
3: I am positive. I'm not smart enough to uh, you know take any credit. I think it's it's um, I think it is a mindset, and it's something you can choose and. I always think about the, the Stockdale paradox, if you're familiar with the, the Stockdale paradox, but it's basically, even before I knew what the Stockdale, Stockdale paradox was, I think I operated with that, like, I cannot let this fail for whatever reason. I, that was not a, an acceptable outcome in my mind. And I was, I've been on the boards of companies where I've watched founders hit the first speed bump or face punch and go, oh, man, that didn't work. I'm out. Like, that's not the way this ends, you know, like, and and so I, I feel like, and I guess it, it was validated early enough for me a time or two that when it looks like people would have bet against me, said like, this company isn't going to make it, he's not going to make it. And I found a way out. It's like, oh, part of the answer is perseverance. Like you have mm-hmm. to decide, I'm not going to just bail. And that gives you the mindset, like, therefore, I have to figure it out. And so I think that's a choice you make. Maybe maybe some people are more predisposed that way, but mm-hmm. I think you decide that or not. And and so I, I spend a lot of time with founders I'm working with saying, you know, you're making that choice, not only for yourself and your life, but if you have any constituencies around you, co-founders, employees, investors, like you're taking them along for that. And you can't just say I'm out, you know? Yeah.
0: Let's, um, let's take a step back and let's just go to, I'm thinking perhaps your first business that you grew to eight figures or exited for more than eight figures. Um, and, and, And I'm suggesting that we focus on that only because there is, there is something to be said for understanding the process once you've been through the process and being able to replicate that process. But, when you're just learning that process, it seems to be where so much of the growth uh, occurs. So let's go back to the, the first business then that you took to uh, either the eight-figure exit or two eight-figures. What, what, what was that business, the first one?
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you, by the way. I think it's, it's, uh, you'll you learn a lot each time. So yeah, the first business I started, a technically it was a, a custom Uh, applications development company in the first quarter of 1995. But the real, the real, you know, blessing, you know, gift or whatever was we decided to move into the internet space in the first quarter of 95 and Netscape had just launched the web browser. So the commercial internet was technically born right as I was sort of raising the flag saying, you know, we're building internet applications. And so, um, the challenge was really significant in that nobody knew what the hell the internet was or if they needed a website or how much it cost. So I spent a lot of my time early on trying to educate, you know, the sales process was educate people, not really sell them. And um, so the good news is we were early, bad news is we were early. And so we had a lot of headwinds to you know, sell the market effectively. But that was my first, my first business was in that space.
0: And so just to, just to be clear, when you say internet applications, you're not talking about like an app on a phone because that obviously didn't exist at the time. You, you're literally talking about building websites and ways to, to leverage the internet. So at this point, am I getting that right? Correct. Okay. So at that point, there were very few people who had the ability to create any sort of internet application because it was so brand new. So how did you go into a market where the talent that you needed to grow that business didn't really exist?
3: Yeah, so I, um, my co-founder was a, a self-taught engineer and we, we saw an opportunity early. Um, again, we in hindsight, it looked really smart at the time. It was just kind of a gamble that that was the right direction, Um, so, so he was a self-taught engineer and, and really figured out some of the application layer early. And our first hire was a very young, just out of college, uh, computer science major who wanted to be in the internet space. And so we took a risk on someone that really had zero experience, but wanted deeply to be in the space. And, you know, as you know, I mean, a lot of people, depending on your age, it's hard to imagine in 1995 i mean a website was a gray background there was no you know color there were really hardly any graphics we were trying to get you know real estate companies that there was no mls distributed online we were trying to get them to upload pictures of houses on the internet so that you know people could see them for the first time i mean it's just hard to imagine that was real but that's yeah. where the market was in 95
0: yeah yeah, we, um, we actually launched on CompuServe's electronic mall in 1993 with a store. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm right there with you, man. And right. the, you know, the fact of the matter is trying to convince people that they needed to do this, you know, obviously it, it was just, um, and, and that's part of the process of building any meaningful businesses to, to some extent, a lot of, a lot of, Large part of what you're doing is educating people about why they need what you have. So, did you raise any capital for that business, or was it just you and your partner and you just kind of sold your way through the first couple years of this?
3: Yeah, we had a, um, we did not have any uh, sort of traditional investors. We had a $10,000 loan from a family member which I joke around and say it was, you know, the worst deal of my life. We gave away a big chunk of the company for $10,000 and that was worth millions later. Um, and and uh, so we, we very much had a garage startup with no money. I mean, I, you know, I had a one bedroom apartment with my, uh, my fiance that became my wife in 96. And um, so, yeah, there was, there was no resources. We were living on the, you know, ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so to that end, just take us through it. So it's so it's you, and it's your partner, yes. right? So you're so you're fifty fifty partners. Now you bring in a, an investor who gives you ten grand. What what did you cut off for the ten k?
3: We ended up. Uh, it was we basically split everything thirds. So thirty three percent.
0: So okay. So now you're a third, a third, a third. It's still the two of you you're starting to sell these sites or whatever the applications are that people are wanting. Mm -hmm. What was the, so this next hire that you brought in, it was the kid coming out of school, really wanted to get into, you know, the world of computer science. Okay, so now you have the ability to, to sell and then you have somebody who has the ability to build. So there's so there's three of you. What were you doing in revenue? Do you remember what you were doing in revenue when it was just the three of you at your peak before you brought on the next hire?
3: Gosh, I I don't remember. You know was the it business hundreds of thousands. Yeah, we were probably in the low hundreds of thousands. I mean, it was you know websites and applications where you were not getting a lot of money for those. It was really thin margin. Um, yeah. So it was a, it was a small business for. We, we started that company in 95. We ended up selling it in 98. And for most of that time, the revenue was relatively small. The client list became kind of world-class. We had Fortune 100 you know, clients because we were early and we were doing work for great companies. Market share was growing really fast. So everybody was seeking us out to build things for them. So the value of our company was growing really really quickly but the revenues were still you know in my mind at the time it was kind of in the future which is why it was it was almost perplexing and and of the six exits i mean that was the only one that someone reached out to us to buy our company and Mm -hmm. we were surprised when we were getting started getting calls Um, but the space that we were in heated up because people recognized obviously this space was going to be relevant. And we had very big clients. And by that point, we were probably 12, 13 employees, and they were all really talented. Um, so we were using, it was kind of our, our strategy, honestly, As is my partner and I would meet about once a month and say, can you make it another month with really taking no money out of the business? I mean, and we would take every dollar to hire the best person we could find, you know, and, and that was, you know, designers and people that understood video and people that understood technology. So that was kind of our whole strategy is we built this, you know, world-class collection of people and great clients that, you know, created a lot of value.
0: Mm -hmm. And so help me do the math on this then. So you, you, you obviously focused on sales, bringing in clients, hiring the the support people that you needed in order to fulfill the orders that were coming in, you get to 12 or 13 people. So starting 95 by, you know, 97, 98, 12, 13 people. Are you, are you doing a million in revenue by the time you get to 12, 13? You are.
3: Yeah, we are. We're doing, yeah, we're, you know, by that point we're doing, um, you know, we're over seven figures and we also have, you know, projects where, you know, big companies are paying us to develop internet applications or sites or something, but we also have the reoccurring revenue associated with hosting the applications, doing ongoing work. And so that reoccurring revenue stream was starting to cover our business and you could see it, you know, out into the future, it was just going to get bigger and better.
0: Got it. So- can you share what the revenue was at the exit and then how was the multiple or the value figured? Did you have to stay on for a period of time? So, just take us through the the exit specifically.
3: Yeah, so that exit um, really, all, all of my exits, and it's something I talk about uh, a lot today. I've never sold a company on a financial multiple. And so, every company I've ever sold has been based on some strategic value that we have been able to articulate or argue that there's a lot of value created in our companies. Now, some of them have reached, you know, eight figures in revenue. And so the multiple, if you did it, would be reasonable, but that company, we were probably at about 2 million in revenue. A big portion of that was, you know, reoccurring. um, And it was a stock and cash, Deal in a company that was about to go public. Um, they had already filed their S one. So we and we had we ended up having three offers on the company, and we chose this company because of the pending IPO, which we believe would you know significantly enhance the value. Mm-hmm. Um, and effectively, what they were interested in buying was, you know, they wanted the team. They wanted us to run kind of a regional office for them but a lot of it was our client base where where they knew they could with more resources, sell much deeper into these companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were doing, you know, analysis. And and I always tell people now I was basically selling the future of what's possible with if you own these clients and my team, but you take away the small business challenge that we had, uh, you know, what's possible. And they were very much seeing the potential with our customer base and our team. So. Mm-hmm. so we sold it in uh may of 98 i stayed on um almost exactly a year the company went public in june of 99 and i resigned the day after the ipo so
0: <laughs> was there a uh was there a, a period of time that you had to hold it or you know the uh the traditional you know, lock-up <laughs> yeah yeah mock-up period yeah
3: yeah there was a there was a stock lockup on the back side of the ipo and um but I was so excited about my next company and I, and I, you know, it was, it was my money. It was, you know, I owned the shares. I had the cash. I did leave a fair amount of stock options on the table. When I left the company, it was, I don't know, seven figures of stock options, but I had already in my mind made a, you know, again, I'm in my early twenties and I made, you know, millions of dollars. I thought, gosh, this is, this is life changing. Um, I checked off a couple of the bucket lists, you know, bought the house, bought the cars I wanted, and um and I started my next company, which I was incredibly excited about and never looked back. That that stock got annihilated uh in the dot com crash. I was still sitting on a lot of um public equities in the tech space and just I mean melted millions very quickly. So yeah. I learned that lesson early.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I um I, I- I'd love to speak to the whole conversation around selling without a multiple, but I also don't want to hog the mic here. So, um, Mary Rich, anything that you want you want to run by Mac before I circle back to that?
2: I have a couple.
0: Um, yeah, actually, I have way more than a couple, but I'll keep it to a couple. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um,
2: first, it. I just want to flash back to this concept of. I use analogies about gardening a lot and surfing a lot, or just sports in general. Um, and this is a lot. I'm going to talk now about first mover advantage. Sometimes, first mover advantage, you get arrows in your back, and sometimes you end up getting acquired and you're able to um, sell and not have to use the multiple in the same way by looking at the future value because the whole reason you were a success was you believed and you went in there first. And now all of a sudden, everyone's starting to see, Oh, everyone, people are coming online. They're going to need more things. They're going to, we're going to need to build this. These people are already trained at it. So just in these markets, when these big swings, these crashes happen, something new always rises out. It's just whether we both uh, saw enough patterns in the past to know which ones, going to rise out of the ashes in the next one and also there is there I, I just can't say there's there's some element of luck too right there really is you could have made the wrong hire with that first guy and he, you know um so but my question specifically is i i know I've, I've looked in and watched some of your um scale with freedom and i know you're really trying to help these startups but I I haven't gotten super deep in there yet. I just, I can't come back enough to, there's going to be people who are going to completely change their business, but to go back to that group that might not ever have that job again, that for the first time in the history of their life, they're thinking of being an entrepreneur and maybe they can grow it to eight figures, but no matter what, they can take care of their family. What are, what are the first things that you saw in the, in the world where what, what's the phrasing of he who's willing and able to, he or she who's willing and able to spend the most to acquire a customer, but wait the longest to collect the checks going to win. And whether it's Uber Netflix and all this stuff, you know, keeping your money in your business, right? What do you say to those, those people who uh, into some to some ways I almost feel like they're in an advantage because they have nothing to lose. And I, I really, I really look to kind of inspire some of those people that now is the time for them to try something that they've never tried before. But I also know a lot of those might not want to go for the eight figures, but I want to take your experience by doing it so many times that even if they got a percentage of their success, their whole life could change. So go
1: ahead.
2: No, I was going to say, so what, what would you say to someone like that with your knowledge on what they should really f- focus on? A market that already knows there's a problem and jump into that, their passion, like you did with soccer, or something they might see coming in the future, kind of, whoops, sorry, one of those three things.
3: Yeah, really, really good question, and, and I 100% agree with you that that, you know, now maybe, one of the best times, you know, look, look for the neon signs in life. And this is one for a lot of people that like, Hey, if you ever thought about starting a company, here's your neon sign, you know, go do it kind of thing. Um, so I agree with the timing and I actually consider it. I think Steve said this earlier. I mean, you don't want to say you're, you know, giddy about things when people are struggling and suffering, but I am, I'm actually close to giddy about like the opportunities that are coming out right now. So, So at a high level, I would say um, the mistake I see most, I call them young, not in age, but like first founders, early founders making is not focusing on the market first. And so my first company, the one thing I did in that company that I would decided and told myself I would never do again is have a sales challenge as one of the issues. I never wanted to have to sell the market again, I wanted to sell the market something they already wanted to buy. And in a perfect world, that would be also shared with me as a consumer, because if I'm excited about something, and I want it for myself, and I knew that there are other people that wanted it, this is a great opportunity. So what I tend to tell people is, and I think this is very true right now is if you have an idea, whether you're passionate about it or not, you need to test the market, is there demand? And is that demand in the form of cash? There are a lot of people that will say, hey, that's a great idea, Steve. Richard, I love what you're thinking. But until they write you a check to buy that thing, there's no company. And so I see a lot of people, I get them literally in my inbox every day of my life now where people are like, I've got a great idea. I need to raise money and then I'm going to get after it. I'm like, you got the whole process wrong. You raise money to turn up the volume on something that's already working. The market tells you if it's working or not. So Sort of long answer short, I would say to anybody now is take your idea, test it with a few friends, test it with the right kind of uh, you know who you think the buyers would be, and make sure that if you can get to a minimally viable product or whatever you want to call it, that someone's willing to pay for that thing. The minute that validates, I'm all in. I, I believe you're on to something and then it's just figuring out how to scale it, how to navigate, things like that. So that's how I think about it and typically recommend people do it.
0: Yeah, That's um, great, thanks. Yeah, point well taken. Um, uh, Mary, anything to add before I circle back to something that Mac said earlier?
1: Yes, I wanted to bounce this idea off you Mac. Um, I've learned as an entrepreneur for 30 years that if I embark on a project and I totally believe let the market tell you what it wants and what it will pay for that, right? Because I'm in real estate and I always tell my sellers, I can give you an idea based on comps, but the market's going to tell you, right? Okay, so going back to creative ideas, I've learned that if I'm starting to flesh out an idea, um, do some research, if my energy level is overwhelmed, heavy, um, bogging me down, I'm on the wrong project. For me, I have to be like, I'm working on one right now that I am just flying through. I'm writing some courses and eBooks and I'm just flying through the content. It's like, it's can't get out of me fast enough and I'm energized while I'm doing it and after I have finished. So have you any comments about that relative to the businesses that you've started and then maybe what helped you decide to exit?
3: yeah that's a uh that's a really good um kind of vein i i I would say i use that as a personal barometer you know it's something my mentor said to me many many years ago is you should spend time on things and with people that give you energy um Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of a personal barometer if i walk out of a meeting with someone and i'm like tired and want to you know lay down it's like probably not someone i'm gonna meet with again um and so
1: so matt what people do and I have, I learned this the hard way. Oh, I just have to stick it out. It can't be that easy. It's you know. And I've learned to trust my instincts. If I'm like you said in a meeting with someone, and I'm like, whoa, this is this is not feeling light, energetic, possibility laden, etc. So I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think it really comes down to trusting yourself. Trusting. Yeah. Yourself.
3: Thanks. Well, I think there's a, there's a huge fundamental difference between um, something that gives you energy and something that's easy. They, they may or may not be the same thing, you know? And so, w- w- and I'll give you the, you know, 60 second example. One Like my favorite, in hindsight, my favorite startup was really my second company. It was soccer related. I, to your energy point, I literally almost couldn't sleep because I was so excited to work the next day. And I mean, I was literally... Just you know happy about every second of that, um, because of the subject matter, it was a really hard business in a lot of ways. we had a great outcome, but like the funny thing is, I look back on it and say it's it's my favorite it's the only time in my business life I kept a journal, so now I can go back and read this journal, and the day to day entries are hilarious it's like I need to go to the doctor, I'm so sick, I don't have time, I'm so stressed out, I'm like, wait a minute, I thought I was having fun, but like, no, no, there was some really hard moments, but I was so passionate about what we were doing, and, and the outcome I wanted to create, that I just sort of kept going, even though there was definitely a lot of, it wasn't easy, it was not easy at all, and so I think that there probably is some part of the mindset, if you're working on something that you really believe in, you're really passionate about. Then it will help you through those what are inevitable lulls, whether they're the market gifts like black swan events we're living now, or they're just the day-to-day dealing with employees and you know investors and the challenge of business. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. It's and we're gonna have to let you jump here soon enough. I'd uh, love to have you all day, man, but we'll uh, we'll let you jump here soon enough. One one thing I did want to circle back on. Uh, real quick here is the whole notion of being able to exit without multiples, right? Or, or exit without uh, what what most would call sort of um, commonplace valuations, right? I mean, in terms of how typically companies look at what they will value a business at in order to acquire it. Um, you know, it, it is interesting. So um, speaking of something that really just kind of puts that fire in the, in the soul and you feel like you got to get it out and it's just you know, something you just love doing and, and was it something that you would actually want yourself? Um, that's in large measure how I feel about podcast magazine. I don't know if you've had a chance to see what we're doing with that or, or look at it, um, but it's the only consumer facing magazine. It's really dedicated towards, you know, podcast fans as opposed to being an industry rag. So, you know, we're sitting at about 25,000 subscribers right now uh, and we're about a hundred days into it, right? So not terribly far down the path. Validation is there. Based on revenue, there is no revenue. You know, it was build the content first, create a really great publication. Let's see what the response is in the market. Yep. It's been validated. People are loving on the magazine. We're able to sit down with anybody we want. Anybody who has a podcast pretty much, we can sit down with them. Like it opens every door. Mm -hmm. Doors that were never opened previously. And so as I'm thinking about the magazine, I think this is a perfect, like Spotify, who's dro- you know, dropping tons of money into the space. Seems like the, the perfect type of company to step up and, and acquire the thing even now, you know, with just our, you know, our fourth issue coming out uh, in, in about two weeks now. Like it feels like someone should be jumping on this right now. Revenue isn't there, but it's created a blue ocean where the blue ocean did not previously exist. Yep. So, if you were advising on on this transaction, what would you say is a logical next step and and certainly and in, in, in this is I'm saying this from the standpoint that everyone can benefit yep. if you have a company that's in a similar position, we can all benefit from from max expertise here so what would that process even look like
3: yeah so um, i I have, you know, what I'm focused on now, I have a a program called Exit DNA, where I work with founders on these exact issues. And it is literally a core principle of mine, which is um, there are a couple ways you can do it. and And I can happy to go into more detail, but I know we'll run out of time. But the first thing is, you know, you have to have a very clear understanding of all of the potential value points in your business. And that is, you know, customers, that is margin, it's intellectual property, it's market share, it's all these different things that are, you know, are value related. Revenue is one of, should be 25 on a list, right? So you have all these different things that are potential value, you know, drivers. Then there's a market of prospective buyers. The mistake most people make when they think about exits is they look for a larger version of themselves and the larger version of themselves is going to understand the business you're in and want to pay a multiple because they know exactly what a customer's worth. They know exactly what the margin is. The real value and the real opportunity is when someone comes from outside your industry that wants to be in the industry and part of your value is allowing them to do it. And so Mm. it might be that your intellectual property, it could be your domain names, it could be relationships you've had, all those things become valuable to them. And so I, I have a whole process of helping people identify these buyers. But then the real kicker, in my opinion, is you dig into their business and you understand how Spotify is growing and what their roadmap looks like. Because they'll tell you, if you read all their press releases, you know where they're going as a company. Yeah. How do you get them there faster or bigger? And if you are answering that question for them, sky's the limit, right? They'll pay, pay huge numbers because you're helping them get somewhere they're already trying to go. So when I call CEOs of people that I want to buy my companies, I'm, I'm basically reading their press releases back to them with my company as the answer. That's kind of the short way I think about it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, we're, uh, we're going to let you share where folks can get more information uh, about you, Mac, and then we'll let you jump and we'll, we'll wrap up here on Beyond 8 Figures. But uh, I know Richie had mentioned uh, some, some things he's been going you know, through with viewers, and, and of course, I know you have other resources uh, as well. So, if folks do want more information about you, Mac, where should they go?
3: Sure. Well, thank you. Um, so, my primary website is just maclackey.com. It's M A C L A C K E Y.com. And that's kind of you know, a little bit of my background and talks about some of the things I do. And then, exit DNA which you can find at you know exitdna.com as well is kind of my core program for founders that are looking to create an exit or at least have the option to do so at maximum value. So that's uh, kind of what I'm working on now, so.
0: Awesome, Mac, we're gonna let you jump, man. Mac Lackey, really appreciate you joining us here on Beyond Eight Figures, continued success. And uh, I know it'll be interesting to see what uh, comes out on the other side for you so far as opportunity is concerned. So we look forward to seeing that next iteration as well. Thank you Thanks very be- much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Bye, Mac. Bye-bye. All Richie, Mary, let's, uh, let's let Mac jump off there. And just, uh, yeah, we'll bring JP on here in, uh, in just a moment. And looking forward to that as well. But let's, um, let's do this, which is uh, final thoughts uh, around Mac. And uh, Rich, let me start with you. It's over and over
2: and over again. I think I'm going to hear some big new epiphany and it just there's something to be said about the i don't remember the exact stat but it seems like everybody brings up mindset so much every single time and this it factor of who can push it through the stat was some it was i want to say it was close to 80 or it might have even been more but it's at least close to 80 that of the people that have that kind of stick to or it factor, they're either yeah. come from sports, military, or martial arts. Almost every single one of them. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I think it's because it might, that mindset, just like if you exit one business and take it to another vertical, that mindset of just the, Tenacity, or I've been—you remembering being down and turning it around somewhere—is just—it's—it's it's in there deep somewhere, and that's just rechanneling that into business that so it just it just comes up over and over again every single time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mary, any uh, any final thoughts uh, as far as Mac is concerned in today's discussion?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I wish I knew where he was at today in his business you know, financially those numbers there, but going back and, you know, this Steve and Richard back in the late nineties, early two thousands, technology was like heavy, expensive boulders that you had to drag up the hill of your idea to be an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and he did it in the beginning with some ignorance and just being positive and it worked out well for him. And I'm sure mm-hmm. there's some bumps in the road as well as for all of us. And that's why I said, I wish I knew now because once you don't have that lagging, heavy, bolder feeling of you're ahead of your time, you were ahead of your time with technology, with the CompuServe store. Sure. Now it's just like sail on forward because you learn from all the mistakes you made when it was really tough. And yeah. that, that's been my experience
3: as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, really interesting conversation. And uh, of course, you know, week after week, we do try to sit down with uh, just uh, the most amazing entrepreneurs that we can, can find and get them to to share their tools and techniques and strategies and shortcuts and everything that they've been able to, uh, to leverage to get them to where they are uh, in terms of building and in some cases exiting from their eight-figure businesses. So it, uh, it never... Never ceases to amaze me anyway, in as to richie's point, you know how there there's definitely uh, consistency around what it is that these successful entrepreneurs uh, are doing, but there's always something that I learn from each of them that is that is singular to to their particular uh, approach. And, and, and the, what really hit home for me and what I'll take out of this uh, moving forward in, in hopefully a powerful way that I'll actually execute upon um, is we often forget that one of the best things that you can do is to create a business that you are actually excited about, something that you actually need or something that you are actually into. And so I, we, we tend to forget that. And it's just a good reminder around, look, if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you can start anything and create any business that you want, why wouldn't you put your time and energy and resources, in, why wouldn't you put that into something that really does appeal to you? you know, and you're not just doing it because it's a commodity-oriented opportunity. So just a nice reminder um, about that that is easy to go years and years and years, and, and just really forget about what you love and, and what you actually have an interest in. So uh, that, that was really, really helpful. Uh, uh, I'll also, uh, two yeah, sec-
2: Two second comment on that is, and yeah, also is. that you're selling it to a market that you want to deal with. Cause he's like, hey, you got to start with the market and you might love the idea and the concept of the business, but you you need to love that market because between your employees and that market, like people matter, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I had offered this before. If you were listening to past episodes, you know that during this difficult time, uh, I have been offering my personal perspective, um, just my expertise uh, as a 30 plus year entrepreneur, I uh, love to be able to help you figure out what your biggest opportunity is or how to tweak what it is that you're doing to survive these challenging times. Um encourage you to to book a, a no obligation call with with me. It is not a sales call you know, disguise as a can I help you call. I mean, it's literally just um, let me give you uh, an outside opinion and an outside perspective on where you're at and uh, how you might be able to pivot in these, in these challenging times. Uh, and it's a 15, actually it's a 20 minute now. We expanded it to 20 minutes, a 20 minute pivoted in place session as we're calling them. Uh, no cost, no obligation, just literally me wanting to, help you see what perhaps you you can't see. Uh, You know, like they say, it's difficult to see the uh, the label from the inside of the bottle. So this is just an opportunity to get another set of eyes uh, on your business and what it is that you're doing. If you're interested uh, in booking one of those sessions, just go to pivotinplace.net. So instead of shelter in place, we are pivoting in place. So pivotinplace.net. And, uh, and I'd love to talk with you. And again, uh, it is 100% just uh, my way of giving back to the community here and helping you to figure out what is possible for you during these challenging times. We will leave it at that and look forward to chatting next week here on Beyond Eight Figures. For Richie Ote, for Mary Goulet, Whiteway, Kelly Pelker, the whole team, we will talk to you guys next time here on Beyond Eight Figures. Take care.